time for another Basketball Insiders Podcast with your host, Steve Kyler. Welcome to another installment of Basketball Insiders, the podcast. I am Steve Kyler, editor and publisher of Basketball Insiders. Joining me as special guest on this podcast, his name is Jordan Fair. Jordan Fair runs Progressive Daily. It's a training program, but Jordan has coached for Louisville. He's coached at the high school level, high level high school. He's an NBA trainer. He's worked with guys like John Henson and Fernie Simon, Damon Lee, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Tony Bradley, just to name a few. Jordan, how are you, my man? I'm good, man. Uh, how are you, man? I appreciate you having me on tonight. Yeah, you know, it's um, for you and I as Floridians, this is a little weird. We're kind of like used to being outside. Like no it's Florida, man. Let's go and, out. And, like... and, and the weather's perfect right now. It's great. Beach weather, outside weather. Um, yeah, as one gym rat to the other, right? Go from the gym, outside nice. Go into the gym, outside nice. Yeah, we Being in the house all day, I don't know what to do with myself. Oh, no um, doubt. I'm yeah, really kind of like that. that wander around the house like, okay, what do I do now? No doubt, man. I'm, I'm going nuts. I, I'm looking for any way in any way possible to get my basketball fixed. <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit, you know, as I mentioned, I, I'm with the podcast, I'm trying to just bring in my friends, people I've known for a while, people that have great stories and just try to fill some of this time for everybody who's kind of in lockdown mode with people that maybe they don't know, maybe they should know, maybe they want to know their story. And I love your story. You know, you and I have become good friends over the last couple of years. Um, so I just kind of wanted to kind of go through your journey a little bit um, and and just kind of cut it up. So let's let's kind of talk about it, right? So you started as a player. Um, you're from the Florida area, from you know the Oldsmar area. Uh, those of you who don't know, Oldsmar is kind of a little suburban area of Tampa. Uh, but Oldsmar Christian, you were part of a team that that won some games. You played for our good friend Ryan Pannone. Um, as one of those guys in an area that's kind of known more as a football region, what's it like to be a basketball guy trying to play high level basketball in a football state? Uh, to be honest with you, man, it, it was uh, it was it was pretty challenging. You know, when I was at Oldsmar, you know, searching for, you know, high level games and exposure uh, was was challenging. You know, that's why I made the decision to play at Oldsmar for Ryan Pannone is because he he was a guy known for one player development. But two, we, we played a great schedule. So when I was younger and I was in high school, we played against the Ricky Sanchez's that was a, a draft pick out of high school. We played against, you know, a lot of, you know, Walter Hodge, which is a Florida great. And we played against a lot of really good high level high school guys. And we were an independent high school. So we were able to travel around and play more games. And then the offseason, you played for Team Breakdown, Team Breakdown, high level AAU program. You guys won back to back national champions, right? Yeah. So I, I, I was on the team with Brandon Knight and Kenny Boynton. Um, Lloyd Vargas, that went to Kentucky. Keith Clant, that was at UCF. Ray Taylor went to. Uh, FIU and FAU. I mean, we were we were really good. I, I was on the team that won the first championship, the 2008 uh, championship, the first one. Now, the, the second one was with uh, Kenny Boyd and Brandon Knight and those guys. But the first, tw yeah, 2008 was our first national champion, AAU national champion. We were the first AAU program, I think only AAU program in Florida to win it back to back. But I was part of the first one. At that time, that was when AAU wasn't quite the sewer that AAU is now. No, no um, everyone played AAU. I mean, AAU was it. It wasn't circuits. It wasn't, you know, all these different, uh, you know, live events. It was really you played on the AAU circuit, and that's what you did. And so we, we played all the best teams. 
At that time, who were the high-level AAU players? You mentioned Brandon Knight. Um, who were the high-level AAU players you faced at that level? Oh, man. Some of my and, – and, and, you know, again, mind you, okay, all my AAU team, you know, I played behind Brandon Knight and Kenny Boyden, so those guys were pretty good. So it was enjoyable to watch them play against, at times, the O.J. Mayos, the Tyreek Evans. Um, those are two of – you know, Derek Favors. Um, I'm trying to think about you. Chris Singleton. I would have to say the best player we placed we played in high school was probably O.J. Mayo. O.J. was legit at that time. That dude oh, was Oh, man, nasty. Billy Walker and him is the best AAU duo I ever saw to this day. So then you go from team breakdown, you play college basketball for North Florida. Um, you know, as a guy that had played kind of that level of AAU, to go to North Florida, I mean, you know, North Florida is not Florida. It's not FSU. It's not, you know, a huge program. But to go from from that to North Florida, what was the transition like for that? What was the, the college experience? So to be honest with you, man, I, I mean, I wasn't a really highly recruited guy. I mean, my, you know, I did play high, high level AAU, but sometimes you get caught up playing on those high level AAU teams and don't get to really showcase your talent. So I wasn't overly recruited. I had to spend a lot of time on my game. You know, I, I as a junior in high school, I had nobody recruiting me. And then that summer, I made a commitment to my game and really worked. And that was kind of a different time with the NCAA, too. They could come see you during the summer to your high school. So the rules have changed. So back then, you know, Ryan Pannon made me, you know, not made me, but encouraged me to work out two to three times a day. I, I, you know, I hired a strength coach. I was in the gym with him all the time, put up extra shots. And by the end, of, by the, so the start of my junior summer, no offers. By the end of my junior summer, I ended up having about five or six Division One offers. Um and, you know, that tr transition was difficult, you know, because, again, I was an under-recruited guy just to get a Division One scholarship. I was extremely grateful. I was the first, um, the only guy in, on our team that year to sign a scholarship uh, ever at that, you know, on our 2018. In 2008, Chris Perez was the year after me. So my 2008 Oldsmar Christian team, I was the only Division One signee. So then you go from playing college basketball to coaching college basketball. You you become a grad guy at Louisville. You become part of Rick Patino's program. How do you transition from North Florida to Louisville? How does that happen? So, so I started, so as soon as I, you know, I, I tore my Achilles and that's why I actually ended up stopped playing. So I, I went and came back and I was Ryan Pannon's assistant for a year at Oldsmar Christian. And, you know, if you know, Ryan's pretty tough. I mean, you know, Ryan, Ryan's <laughs> a pretty tough guy. Uh, Pannon is a super nice guy and he's a great guy, but he's very difficult, uh, you know, to work for in terms of, you know, demanding. Very demanding. Yeah. Yeah. Demanding, you know, made you work hard, you know, didn't let you cut corners and just kind of, you, you know, like I said, you know, Pannon, so you know how hard he works. So he demanded that of me. So the transition from Oldsmar to Louisville was, it was probably the, you know, it, it was probably the most difficult thing I'd ever done because also my, you know, once I was Ryan Pannon's assistant, then I took over as head coach and we built a top 10 high school program in the country where, you know, I had 22 Division One players in four years. And, you know, kids like L.J. Figueroa that just put his name in the draft and Justin James, who was drafted last year, and, you know, et cetera. You know, Elijah Weaver at USC, we, we were really good. And we were top 10, like I said, under armor contract. So you were, I was kind of at the top of a mountain, right, at, at the high school level. 
Then to go be a GA at Louisville, I'm at the bottom of the mountain and just, <laughs> you know, just trying to trying to find a way to 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 you know fit in and, and learn. And you know, you're so far behind because obviously on you know Coach Patino's staff, those guys had been there and they'd won championships and they were well established. And so I just came in like a sponge, just wanting to you know I learned video, I learned Photoshop, uh, you know I learned how to you know video edit uh, to the point where I was helping with post-practice edits and, and pre-game edits and player per- personnel and designing envelopes for our mail outs and, you know, putting together recruiting databases, checking classes, checking curfews. I mean, you know, you really just grinded it out. I mean, I just, I did. I, I, I think in my mind, I have an idea of what it's like to work for Rick Patino. And I don't think that I would enjoy any moment of that. I mean, other than going, I was there and I did it. I can't imagine that that was a very glamorous day to day. You know what? Here's what I'll say. And, you know, there's just being blatantly honest with you. It is it was the most difficult, challenging thing that I'd ever done. But what I can assure you is, is I, I got better. You know, I got better as a worker. You know, I learned how to, you know, you think you know how to work, you know, and I worked my my butt off to build my program in Oldsmar, you know, having kids live at my house and, you know, driving a van, you know, working, you know, fundraisers. But when I got to Louisville, it was a whole new level of work. You know, it was a new level. Opened my eyes to what it really takes. You think you work hard, you know, but we had 7 a.m. meetings every day and, we, you know, you, you had to be, you know, you're trying to be the first of the office and you're, you're, you're trying to learn everything. And I, I can tell you this. Yes, you're correct. It's grueling, but I can, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be there and work there because I learned a lot about the game. Then you go from GA to actually a staff assistant. Who were some of the guys that were there at Louisville? I know you had Donovan Mitchell. I think you had my guy, Ray Spaulding. Yeah, Who else did you have that was there um, when you were there? So Ray Spaulding, Dang Adele, Donovan Mitchell, Honest Mahmood. Um, the kid, uh, Stephen Enoch was there. Uh, did you have Mango? I had Mango Mathiang, sure did, <laughs> sure did. Um, try, you know, I mean, Quentin Snyder, um, I was trying to think, you know, Ryan McMahon, uh, trying to think of some other guys. I mean, so you're there with Donovan Mitchell. Did you see Donovan Mitchell being this type of player when he was there? I mean, you were around him every day. Did you see it? I saw him from the time the sun came up and then I was the one to check his room, you know, before he went to sleep. So, um, did I think he was going to be an NBA all-star? I would be lying if I said yes. So the answer to that is no. Did I think he was an NBA player? 100%. I was a big Donovan Mitchell fan in the draft, and I got so much crap from people because I recognized, and I think you can you can co-sign this, that the way Louisville used guys and the way Patino used guys didn't always showcase who they really were. And I think when you look at kind of how Ray Spaulding was used, how Donovan was used, how even guys like Terry Rozier were used, you know, those guys, when they moved to the NBA level, what their skill set was, I don't think always translated to how they played at Louisville. Well, I think that could be said for, you know, a lot of college guys. Almost every college program, right? Yeah, I think think that um, some guys just, their game translates better to to the NBA. But what I can tell you is, is, you know, 
and again, I was only there for Donovan one year and, and just the way that coach Bettina would make you work, you know, prepared you for that level. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I think every college level, every, every college program probably doesn't showcase, you know, to the full maximum. Some guys just, their game translates better to the NBA. So you're the guy that has to make sure Donovan Mitchell's tucked in at night. Um, <laughs> I can imagine there was some fun with that. Yeah, man, he was a great kid. I, I mean, I, I can tell you what, he's probably one of the greatest guys of all time. Um, he, he's a super fun to joke with, play with. You know, we gave each other a hard time. You know, we, I actually, um, I just, I, I have a lot of great memories of him. He was a great kid. He was really good to be around. So was Ray. Ray's probably my favorite. Yeah, I love Ray Spalding. Yes, sir. No, sir. That guy's yeah, still. I mean, he, like, Ray, you got to stop calling me sir, man. I'm good. Like, he's, we're good. Yeah, he's the funniest dude on the planet, though. Ray's, Ray's my Ray, – you know, Ray, Ray was is super quiet, but then he would go in the locker room and then he would just be the funniest dude. It would be the comedy show. <laughs> so you leave Louisville, um, you come back home, and then you start really working on the player development training side. I think that's when you really started to get into, you know, really training young players. But – you know, you've got John Henson, you've, you've worked obviously with Tony Bradley, you mentioned Justin James and Fernie Simons, who's with uh, the Portland Trailblazers. What was it about training players? How did you kind of, how did that moment happen? So, you know, I, I'd always kind of enjoyed working guys out and just being in the gym and, and spending time and personally investing in guys' games. But um, two, I'll give you two examples. One was Justin James. Just his passion for the game really oozed into me, how much he wanted to work and how determined he was. That really, you know, I fed off that a lot, you know, so guys that really want to get better and are hungry and he would bug me to get in the gym. He'd bug me to be in there. And I, I just, I fed off that. And then one story that really, really got me into it, really um, just made me want to be a, a player development guy was, was a time when we, you know, Donovan Mitchell, we lost to North Carolina um, and Donovan played, you know, poorly to his standards. And after the game, you know, he, he, he mentioned to me, he went in the gym and, and spent all, you know, all, all night in there by himself, just working on every shot that he missed and, and making it repeatedly and then got up and, and worked out again and through our individuals and in class and practice. And that's just, you know, that, that for me is, is open my eyes. Like, you know what? it's attainable for any, any guy to be who they want to be. And, and, but I, and I want to be a part of that process. I want to help guys reach their goals and reach their maximum potential and be the best players they can be. So I, I started really, really getting into that and, and studying that and starting, you know, pick Ryan Pannone's brain doing that. I mean, that, that's something that became a passion of mine. So then you get, how did you end up with John Henson? Like you and John are close. I mean, most people don't know that, but you and John are, are incredibly close. And if John's not in an NBA gym, he's usually in your gym. Um, and I remember as you and I first started to get to know each other, you know, John comes walking in the gym. I'm like, the hell's John doing here? Like, oh yeah, John works with Jordan. I'm like, who the hell's Jordan? <laughs> yeah. John and me go back, uh, way back. We go back to, uh, Back to high school. So I, I'm a year older than John. And when I was a senior, you know, he had just kind of moved to the area and he was new to the area, didn't really know anybody. And we, we held open gyms and I would be in the gym all night working on my game. So I, Osmar just can't, became a place where he'd come play pickup and me and him would just shoot late night and get extra work in. And, and then, you know what, out of the blue, it's actually the craziest thing. When he was getting drafted by, 
or, or out of college. He was three years in history year. The timing just worked up. It worked out incredibly. He just hit me up randomly. Hey, bro, you know, how you doing? Um, would you be interested in just working me out, you know, when I'm home from the NBA? And we just, you know, obviously we stayed in touch while he was in college, but we just, our relationship really blossomed when, uh, you know, he, he contacted me about working him out. And I just started working with him on his game during the summers, you know, as, as often as he wanted to, because again, we were friends too. So I didn't want to be the guy bugging him to get in the gym, but he was bugging me to get in the gym, you know, and, and we just, we, we, we grew from there. I remember I was uh, renting the Oldsmar Christian gym uh, from our good friend, David. And I get a text message like, Hey, would you mind like letting John Henson use half the gym? I'm like, shit, hell yeah. Let John use half the gym. <laughs> so I told my guys, you stay on this end. Don't bother John. And you and John got your work in. And uh, I always appreciate how John is uh, with all my AAU guys. Um, but training players, I mean, it, it became more than just kind of John. I mean, you ended up with, you know, Tony Bradley, you mentioned Justin James and Fernie Simons, uh, Damon Lee. Um, how do you, how, as a trainer, do you get new guys? Is it, they find you? Is yeah, it so guys like Damian Lee, I, I work with when, you know, he was coming out, you know, back from his ACL surgery, uh, when I was in Louisville. Uh, but like Tony Bradley, for example, you know, I, I was an AAU coach, so I had built in, uh, familiarity with some of these guys. And, and then when some of these guys kind of noticed, um, that I was working guys out and kind of saw, you know, how John improved, you know, from the three point line and and John made some changes to his game. I think guys kind of noticed that. And I think a lot of it's word of mouth, too. You know, just seeing the work that's being done. And, you know, nowadays, social media is so big with the video content. And I just think guys kind of learned about me through word of mouth and then just saw the work that we were putting in and, and, and contacted me and, and, you know, built relationships and. Got in the gym and get at, and I'm I'm a, I'm a gym, you know, I'm a gym junkie, man. I'm I'm always in there, so guys want to be in there. <laughs> um, and now you're kind of doing more than just pro level guys. You know, you've got progression daily where you're working with you know middle school and high school age guys, and mm -hmm. you know back coaching at Old Smart Christian a little bit on side. But um, what is it about teaching the game that is so interesting and fulfilling to you? Because I've been around a lot of guys. I, and, you know, I, I hate to do that on the podcast, but I think it's always important to kind of put in preface that, you know, I've met most of the people who do this for a living, especially the good ones. And some of them go about it and it's very businesslike and it's very transactional, but there's a real passion that you bring to what you do um, that I find interesting. Where do you, where does that come from? You know what? As, as a kid, I was pushed pretty, pretty hard by my mentors, you know, my dad, you know, Ryan Pannone. You know, I was really taught, you know, what it meant to, you know, be passionate about something. And basketball is something that I've just always had. It's always been a safe haven for me. It's always been something that's, you know, just got me excited and got me motivated. So when it comes to teaching the game, it's just something I'm passionate about. I love basketball. I love the game. Um, I'm willing to sacrifice it all for the game of basketball. I know it sounds crazy, but I just I love this game. Um, so when it comes to teaching, you know, young kids, college kids, NBA guys, um, I, I feel like I'm blessed to be able to give anybody anything that I have, any 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 information, guys that are willing to learn. I want to teach, you know, and again, that comes from a kid that's a new beginner to a kid that's in college, a kid that's in high school, the NBA level. I feel like I've been at every single level at this point, except for the NBA level. 
Um, and I, and I have, a, I've, I have some knowledge to give. So I'm just, I'm, I'm a junkie, man. Like I said, I mean, I, I'm willing to, I have a passion for this game that just most people do not have. There are two fun things about you that I find amusing. Um, one, I think, you know, all, I think all coaches kind of are really good at teaching certain things. And the thing I tell people, and certainly I tell my parents that, you know, when they're looking for extra work with their kids, I'm like, Hey, here's Jordan. Here's what Jordan does. I think better than almost many that I've seen, you are great at teaching downhill attacking and just that get to the bucket mentality, what I'll call that Russell Westbrook swag. And the other thing, I've never, ever seen a skill coach that's like, why the hell are you passing the ball? You want to shoot it? Shoot it. (laughs) it, It's so fun for me to watch you do that with young kids because one, you and I both know that's exactly how they want to play. And the truth of the matter, as much as coaches, you like to say, hey, you should pass the ball. You should be unselfish. You want dudes that are about going and getting the bucket. And I think you do that better than most than I've seen is like really teaching how to be an aggressive offensive player. No doubt about it. I mean, so that's one thing I picked, you know, I picked up from Louisville was, man, if you are not willing to shoot an open shot or you're not willing to be aggressive to score the ball, basketball may just not be for you. So um, I'm all about if you're open, you better be able to score. If you see an opening, you better be able to attack and get to it. So I love teaching that. I love being able to teach a bucket because, you know, Ryan Pannon, this will be a funny line for you. Ryan Pannon taught me this one time. Now, he may walk this back. He may walk this back. (laughs) He likely will now that he's in the G League and heading on his way to the NBA. But he once told me that offense is for scholarship players and defense is for walk-ons. So Okay. You know, that was, and, and again, he may walk that back and he may get mad at me for sharing that, but that was something that he would always, look. I don't think he's wrong that. because I'll tell you this, and this is the truth. You know, as somebody who evaluates players for the NBA draft, I don't think I've ever went, yeah, he scores 2.2 points a game, but man, he's a lockdown defender. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. nobody's drafting the dude that scores 2.2 points a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, that guy I mean, never makes it. So I think Ryan Pannon's right, whether he wants to admit it or not. Yeah, that's something that I've just never forgot. I mean, that's – and, again, you know, the, the higher level you go, um, you know, can you score the ball? I mean, and 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 how do you score it? You know, how w- w- are you able to get to the bucket? Are you able to get by guys? Are you able – not only are you able to get by guys, but are you able to get by guys and create for other guys? Um, so I'm big on footwork. You know, I'm big on, you know – being able to use your footwork to get by guys and get in the lane and score. Um, I'm all about being able to, you know, make open shots and score. Score Like, again, I've said score five times. I'm all about getting a bucket. That's for sure. So you started to try to make the transition towards the pro game. I know you were in the running for a couple of G League opportunities this year. And I, I is your friend. I'll say it this way. I think you've had one foot in the water. I think you need to get them both in. Sure. Um, but what is it about kind of the next part? Is it getting over – maybe the fear of what all of that is, or is it now that you feel like you're ready? To, I, feel for that like, next I, I feel like it's just been a, a matter of being ready and, and being committed to taking that next step. I think that, you know, just me getting mentally prepared to, um, you know, take that next step. But, and, and again, it's just kind of uncharted waters. You know, at first it was more so, 
you know, I'm, I'm not sure what it's going to take to get there and I'm not sure what I'm going to, but now after kind of surveying and, and, and I went out to the summer league and got to talk with some great guys, you know, some guys you introduced me to, which I appreciate. Um, you know, I think it's something I, I just, with my passion and, you know, of the game, the NBA, the G league is all basketball. And I think there's nothing more in this world that I would want more than to just do basketball all day. You know, I, I, I tell people this and you're one of the, the of, of a few coaches that I've, I've gotten to know that are kind of, you know, trying to figure out their way through it. I think there's always kind of this doubt, right? Like how I, am I good enough? Like, like, can I be that guy? Like as good as you think you are, you just kind of realize the NBA level, how many jobs are there really? And most of the dudes that are in them ain't giving them up. You know, oh, yeah. you look at the G League and you go, wow, you know, there's all, you know, only so many jobs and there are these amazing coaches that are in it. You know, and I tell people all the time when an NBA team has an opening, there's a thousand resumes for yeah. every opening. Yeah. Like, how do you become one of those guys that even gets an interview? And it can be daunting and overwhelming. You know, when you started in that process and you're like, you know, yeah, I was at Louisville and yeah, I've worked with a bunch of NBA guys. Do you get that kind of self-doubt? that maybe I don't have the resume or maybe I'm not a name or maybe I haven't done enough is, is there that self doubt or do you just have to check that and jump in the pool? Well, I think this for sure. I mean, one thing for sure is there are a lot of people out there that are probably, um, you know, may have a better resume, you know, but what I can assure you and do I have self doubt about my ability to be honest with you? No. I mean, uh, another thing that Ryan Pannone taught me, you know, kind of always bet on yourself, you know, always believe in yourself and your ability. And I, I feel as if if I don't know something with my work ethic, and my passion, I, I'm going to learn it. I'm going to try to learn it as quickly as possible. So there is self-doubt um, to have, you know, to get the opportunity. Yes. You know, I, I, I it has crossed my mind that, you know, will I get an opportunity? How do I get an opportunity? You know, all these different people that may have a better resume or may have a better foot in the door than me, um, have a better shot at getting a job. I mean, that's definitely something that crosses your mind. But, you know, uh, you know, God is good all the time. So I, I know I will get my opportunity. I just have to be make sure I'm prepared for it. And I, I, I'm going to bet on myself every time. As you've now moved into that part of your life, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned as a coach? Like, what are the things time has taught you? Man, uh, that is, that's probably the best question of the day. You know, I going from the different level, you know, from high school, you learn one thing, you know, then you go to the college, you know, it's all about scouting and game preparation and film and, you know, tactics and, 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 you know, learning how to outsmart, out tactic the other guy. Probably the, the best lessons that I have learned thus far is one is, you know, the level of work ethic that it takes to be a great coach and, you know, being around some of the great coaches, you know, seeing how they work and, and seeing the work ethic and, and the determination, but also the intelligence that it takes to be a great coach. Um, also, you know, the level of scouting, you know, these guys do, you know, people watch the NBA and they think, oh, they just, it's just the best players in the world going and going out there and playing. And that's just, it's so far from the truth. You know, guys like Cody Tauber, and Ryan, you know, they just spend hours and hours on film. And, you know, so that level of it, you know, breaking down film scouting is something I've really learned. Um, 
And probably, and I'll, I'll touch, you know, a player standpoint is you got to care and love and have relationships with your guys. You know, you they have to, you know, I've learned that the better relationships you have your with your players, the more your players feel like you're in it with them, the more they're willing to play hard and sacrifice and, and go to war with you. You know, you've been around a lot of, of young players. You've been around a lot of players that are, you know, just now getting their chance in the NBA. Maybe a couple have been in the NBA like John for eight or nine years. Um, what are some things that you see that are not being taught to young players? I don't think now you're talking from for the NBA level specifically or I'm just, you know, I always kind of look at everything from the NBA prism, but I also understand that, you know, an eighth grader today isn't going to play in the NBA. Yeah, like yeah, there, yeah. There 150 I'll of those jobs and about a hundred of them don't change for 10 years. And, and just the odds that you're going to get to that level are really, really small, but to be a, a high functioning high school player, to be a high functioning college player, to go on and have success or have the chance for this, this sport to pay you money yeah. to, to be a pro. What are some things that you keep seeing from guys or, or maybe it's the evolution that, you know, it's not being taught that starts to become a deficiency at the next level. I think that the biggest issue that I've seen, and 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 I'll start with the younger, you know, the younger generation, middle school, high school. It, it's the game is not being taught. The game is not being taught. You know, kids are not being taught how to play. And you know, this is the high school coach and the middle school coach's fault. Um, and this is one thing I give you a lot of credit for at the, at the younger level. You actually teach the game. Too many kids in, in middle school and high school coaches are, you know, they want to learn. They want to teach their kid the, the and one mixtape move or the cool fancy move they saw Kyrie make or whatever it is. But it's they're not teaching them the concepts of the game, you know, helping the helper, you know, down in a ball screen. You know, the, the game is not being taught um, at the youngest level. You know, it's just guys go out there and, and figure it out. There's not coaches calling timeouts and drawing up plays or making adjustments. The game is not being coached very well at the youngest level, in my opinion. Um, so I think that's we, we've, we've got to do a better job of that, and that starts with the high school and middle school coaches. I think at the college Natalie, level I, – I, I think there's a parent dynamic in it too that – Sure. Their parents want their kids to be doing mixtape stuff so that they can get whatever comes at the next level. And that when you actually demand a kid to be coached and be coachable, like coachability, I think is a big oh, thing that's man. lost in basketball. I hear it from NBA guys all the time. Like what's Huge. the most important asset of a player being coachable, yeah. being open to the fact that you may not know everything about everything. Coachability, I think is a thing that's, you know, and holding kids accountable to that, right? No doubt. I mean, and I think a big problem is that everybody wants to coach their own AAU team now, and everybody wants <laughs> to have a pop-up prep school or high school now. So the level of accountability that we can actually have with these kids at the lowest level is very, it's very difficult because, well, I don't like you, you coaching my son, I'm going to go play for this team, or I don't like yep. that you're telling my son to do this, so I'm going to transfer to this high school. You know, it's, I think and there's always somebody who's willing to take that kid and that parent in it. Yeah, man. It's, I think that's, I think that's a downfall. I think we just, as a, you know, and there are great youth coaches or our great high school and middle school coaches, but I think as a whole, we just kind of got to get better in that area. I think we got to coach guys up and I think stuff like this, you know, doing podcasts and, and I'm doing a, a high school coach zoom meeting uh, this weekend. I, think I was just going to talk about that. Yeah. yeah you know, well, you did a thing. What was it? Two years ago. 
or was it a year ago when the women's final four was in yeah. Tampa? You did kind of an open gym for coaches. Yeah. And like you had everybody. Yeah. I'm like, you reached out to me like, you, you, and I'm like, yeah, I'll help you find a gym. And we, we found a gym and like, you had like 90 people in the gym. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so, I mean, I, I think I have this weird, unique knack for, you know, just creating, you know, environments where, um, you know, people just come together, man. Basketball is a beautiful sport. It's a beautiful game that brings people together from from all from everywhere. But basketball just does so much. It's so powerful. So I did a basketball I did a, does not care where you're from, what yeah, color you are, yeah, how much yeah. money you make. It no doesn't. It's, can you hoop? You can hoop. Come play with me. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt. I mean, so I, yeah, I hosted a. I just put a thing out on Twitter about hosting a. a a pickup game, you know, for the college coaches in town for the final four. And we had like 75 coaches there. I, I brought coffee and donuts. I, and I don't even coach girls basketball. I've never even, I've never been to a college women's basketball game, but uh, I just wanted to network with people. Uh, you know, one of my good friends, Selena uh, Castillo is the uh, graphic design and media person at Duke. And we just got together and, and put together a flyer and just had 75 coaches. So it was really cool. It was really, really cool. And now you're doing a Zoom thing where you're going to do player development and just kind of a coach's clinic. And where are you at now? Are you like a hundred people going to be oh, on this thing? Dude, oh my man! So so I, I I started out just wanting to do one and just seeing <laughs> you know having thirty people there and sharing some of my player development notes, you know, because I, I I feel like I have a pretty unique style of doing player development at the high school level, maybe a little bit different. So I put together, you know, I talked to you earlier that I put together some slides and to share and. When I put it out on Twitter, I was just, you know, high school coaches only. Let's just let's just talk. And it ended up I mean, I probably have 100 high school coaches, 15 different college coaches want to be a part of it. And so we're going to do segments, man. I guess I'm going to do a weekly thing and I, and I will do the recruiting process, you know, kind of talk, you know, since I've been at all the different levels, you know, helping high school coaches handle the recruiting process, building a practice plan at the high school level, player development, you know, moving up, you know, since I had, you know, I was blessed to move up from the high school level. So I'm just going to do different segments each week. Well, I hope I'm getting an invitation. Oh, for sure, man. Um, It's going to be fun. So uh, I, I've asked like, you know, Cody Topper this, I asked Ryan this, I asked Josh, Josh Oppenheimer this, so I'm going to throw the same question at you. What are the char- characteristics of a winner? Like when you look at things winners do at the basketball level, whether that's high school, whether it's, I think the characteristics are pretty much the same, but what are the characteristics of a winner? What's the Man, that's, DNA that's a of a winner? Question. That's a, every, every coach should be asked to answer this question. So I actually put up on, you know, I coached Oldsmar this year. I actually put up on our board every single game. A key to winning was making winning plays. And that directly ties into being a winner. If you're a winner, you know, you do whatever it takes to dive on loose balls. You take charges. You you over communicate. You you know you you box out on on the you know ten seconds left on the, on on the clock. You know last shot goes up. Do you box your guy? Do you secure the rebound? You know winners um, put themselves aside, put the team ahead, and do whatever it takes to win. You know and and again I I, I put a winner. And I describe them by all the winning plays that they make, you know, like and like I said, loose balls, charges, steals, deflections, um, box outs. I mean, those that's that's what that's things winners do. Winners communicate. Winners huddle the team up on at the free throw line. Winners 
uh, make sure that at the end of the game, when they walk off the floor, they did whatever it took, not just to to help the team win or not score 30 or score hit 20 rebounds, but they did what it took to win. And they inspired their teammates to do what it took to win. That's what win. I mean, that's, that's a winner to me. And the funny thing that you said there, you didn't say anything about percentages from the free throw line, from the three point line, how many points, how many rebounds. And I think that's kind of the, the, the thing that I, I, why I'm always curious about that, you know, winners don't take 50 shots a game. I mean, no. they usually don't. No. Um, so I, I'm always curious about how coaches view winners. Well, winners don't know how many shots they take in a game. They don't say, all right, I yeah. got 18 attempts and let me get these two more up. So I have an even 20 winners take the, take winning shots. Winners make winning yeah. plays, you know, winners, um, find that open guy in the corner on a kickout winners, you know, winners read a ball screen and watch the guy roll, you know, or, or watch the slip guy that winners win and that winners, winners, you know, a winner and you can develop a winner. You can help guys learn how to be a better winner. Who were some of the people that were big influences on you? Like when you think about, you know, I know your dad and your family and you're very close with your family, but you know, you, you've talked about Ryan Pannone a lot. And I, I think all of us that have known Ryan understand why he can be that guy. Um, but who were some of the ones that, that kind of either shaped how you view basketball shaped how you work, shape how you want to be in the future? Uh, Kurt, uh, you know, obviously Ryan Pannone is definitely one of, like we already talked, you know, Ryan taught me a majority about what I know about this game. You know, he helped me instill a passion for this game. I would say a couple other individuals early on in my career that, you know, really, really taught me a lot. One was David Thorpe when I was younger, when I was probably 19 or 20 and I was Ryan's assistant. I was I was a rebound guy for David Thorpe. I was rebounding 700 basketballs a day for Kevin Martin and and some of those guys, you know, Solomon Alabi and Corey Brewer, you know. That that was something that I to this day I still use David Thorpe concepts and and things that he you said. You would be both. Um, Kevin Sutton, who's an assistant coach at Rhode Island, was a guy that I really uh, looked up to and admired and you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, he let me practice with his national championship Montverde team when I was a kid. Um, you know, he was a guy that I really looked up to. Uh, Chris Kafko at USC has always been a guy that, you know, uh, I'm inspired by. You know, he just does things differently, but he's a great guy. You know, he's, he's, his philosophy and his mindset are, you know, just different than most college guys. It, those are guys that I have, uh, and I'm sure there's a few guys that I'm, I'm leaving off or I'm, I'm missing out. Uh, but those are a few guys that have really inspired me at, as a young age. And then obviously, you know, I learned how to really work hard um, and develop a work ethic when I was at Louisville. I mean, that, that that's the biggest takeaway from there was, you know, I really learned how to work, you know. And, and then players inspire you, too. You know, players inspire you. You know, some of the players that I've been around inspired me to, to want to be a better coach. And, and I felt like if I wasn't becoming a better uh, coach and a better person and a better leader, I was doing these really good kids a disservice. So, you know, coaches and mentors, you know, those are some of the guys, but then again, you know, my players had a big influence on me. You know, I, I, I lived with players when I was a high school coach. So a lot of those guys had a big, big influence on me. Just, you know, they pushed me to want to be the best me as well. So what has been more rewarding for you? I mean, you win a national championship, the AAU level with team breakdown, 
you get a scholarship at North Florida, you become a GA at Louisville, you have friends that become draft picks. What's been the most rewarding part of that, watching your own personal success or watching some of the kids you've worked with, like Justin James and Donovan Mitchell and John Henson kind of get to that level? You know, I think um, I think it's it's that's an easy answer for me. I mean, I, I've I've coached over 50 Division one players and I've coached, you know, I've been able you know, blessed to work with, you know, 20 NBA guys or overseas guys. My greatest success and the thing I'm most grateful for is just being able to be a part of it. You know, those guys sending me, you know, the high school guys sending me a text you know, um, a couple of years later, Hey coach, I appreciate everything you did for me. I appreciate you believing in me, you know, cause I had some kids that, you know, weren't even supposed to qualify. They're playing professionally overseas and Justin James calling me on draft night with tears in his eyes that he got drafted. I remember this story. Yeah. I mean, called me on draft night, you know, he didn't even believe he was getting drafted. Um, you know, the LJ Figueroa who just declared for the draft. Thanks for everything you did for me. I mean, that, you know, the, the kid that signs a Division three scholarship that, you know, never thought he could play college basketball, but now he gets to go play. Those, those are that's what you do this for. If you're not doing this game to inspire and motivate and help others reach your goals, you shouldn't be in coaching. So I, I'm I'm grateful and I'm glad that I have, you know, been able to impact and, and be able to work with kids that, you know, get to accomplish their dreams and goals. I was one of those kids. You know, I was that kid that. There's nothing I wanted to do but to sign a scholarship. And now that I get to be um, someone that helps them accomplish that, I mean, that's that's I'll be I'll be I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. Jordan, great stuff, my man. And and one, I want to thank you. Um, you've taken my little dude and you've helped him overcome some obstacles that I just couldn't reach him with. And um, I, I will always be in your debt for that. And certainly I thank all the dudes that uh, have put their faith in me, appreciate all that you do for them. So I want to make sure you hear that from me and we put that on the record. Um, I've appreciated all of it. So um, I, I, and again, doing a podcast, I mean, you, you had a crazy day today, so I'm glad that you were uh, able to make it on the podcast. We could cut this uh, I'm, I'm grateful you had me, man. I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, you've had some really high level guys on here and you, you, you know, I appreciate you taking some time to, to chat with, uh, chat with me about my journey. There we go. Uh, he's Jordan fair. You can check him out. If you're an Instagram guy and you want to learn more about basketball, he puts a lot of great stuff out on Instagram and on Facebook progression daily. Um, he is Jordan fair. Um, I'm Steve Kyler. Thanks for hanging out with us. It's basketball insiders. We've got a lot more podcasts scheduled. I've been going through my phone through this whole process and just kind of looking for people who have great stories. Uh, try to line them up, help us all get through kind of all this quarantine lockdown stuff, uh, get smarter on the other side, maybe hear some good journeys. So keep it locked here at basketball insiders and basketball insiders, the podcast. Like the podcast? Make sure to leave a comment or drop in a review after every episode. This has been an Insider Sports Production.